Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 153. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. American diplomats are boycotting the Olympics. The Cincinnati Bengals are in the Super Bowl. And Russia is threatening war. It kind of feels like the 1980s again. And it's very much a time to stay vigilant. He has the capacity to do that. What he's going to do, I don't know. And uh, I don't think anybody knows but him. To the Americans who are currently in Ukraine, should they leave the country? I think it'd be wise to leave the country. Uh, not, I don't mean our, I don't mean, I'm not talking about our diplomatic corps. I'm talking about Americans who are there. I hate to see them get caught in a crossfire if in fact they did invade. And there's no need for that. And I, if I were they, if I had anyone there, I'd say leave. Yeah, if you're in Ukraine, and especially if you're American, now is a very good time to get out. Because Russia may be about to invade. They've got hundreds of thousands of troops on the border. They've got naval ships in the Black Sea. And Putin is playing all kinds of geopolitical games. The entire world is watching and waiting to see if Russia goes to war with Ukraine. But what most folks don't realize is the war is already underway. A war that's invisible. A war that doesn't involve tanks and navy ships and soldiers. A war that involves a different kind of 2022 combat. And we're going to break it down and help you stay vigilant. Russians have commanded the attention of the world. And we've got information warfare and Russian influence expert Molly McHugh back on the show. After joining us way back in episode 84 and 115, one of our most popular and most interesting guests is back. Molly's traveled the world studying, analyzing, and advising on the most urgent cybersecurity, misinformation, and technology-based threats. She's an adjunct professor at Georgetown. She teaches Russian hybrid warfare, and she's a very interesting and knowledgeable person with an expertise that's especially timely for right now. It may feel like the 1980s, but it's not. It's 2022, and the problems now are more dangerous, more complex, and coming from more sides. So it's a time to stay vigilant. Because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. Welcome to a new time of geopolitical instability. With a familiar enemy, but very new tactics. Welcome to the future of warfare. Welcome to Independent Americans. Episode 153. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world. Uh, happy winter. Happy Olympics. Happy bizarre times continuing. Uh, in many ways, it feels like 1985 all over again. The Olympics are happening. There is a new Cold War. Uh, we are at odds with Russia. Uh, things continue to be nuts. And I could think of no better person to bring us to this conversation specifically around Russia, Ukraine and all other things than a returning champion, a friend of the show, 
the great and powerful Molly McHugh is back on Independent Americans. Welcome back, my friend. Thank you for having me back. Glad to be here. Um, I, I always ask, you, you've been on twice before. It was May 2021 and November 2020. We, at that time, last time you were on, there were massive cyber attacks in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. Um, you are always one of our most interesting and entertaining and informative guests. You are an international woman of mystery. So in, in, in building <laughs> off of that, I've got to ask you, where are you and how are you? Alas, I am still in Washington, although I have actually traveled since the beginning of the pandemic now, which is like a miracle. Uh, but I wish I was further to the east just now. Let's let's just say that uh, I'm I'm OK. I'm teaching again this semester. So I'm just like you always forget how much time that takes and how you want to engage all of these great young, smart students and make them into better proto humans. But like it takes a lot of time. I'm good. I've got a lot going on. And of course, uh, like anyone who does what I do, we're all trying to do stuff uh, around Ukraine. So um, it's complicated. <laughs> yeah. But I'm okay. I just got a lot going on. <laughs> well, I appreciate you breaking that to spend time with us again. And it is complicated. Um, and that's why I wanted to talk to you. So, you know, we have this backdrop of the Olympics. We have Putin sitting in the stands. We've got um, a lot of chatter of all kinds. Um, I wore my, my USA BMX shirt. You asked me, when we oh, were, I was what is wondering, that shirt? Like what, what I are the wings like, on your shirt? Yeah. Since we're going to talk about Russia here, you know, I yeah. grew up in the eighties, which like it sparks all these images of red Dawn and Ivan Drago and, you know, all these, these images of being in the Wolverines and, and, and fighting the Russians. Um, but, but, but you watched red Dawn. How old were you roughly when you watched red Dawn? Do you remember like young enough like that a, it was like, probably a like 11 Probably like so it was like a formative thing for you, right? Oh. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm, I am the generation and, and you had that the plan, wanted, right? Like, oh, you had a I was on plan. I was the generation that was going <laughs> to join Jed in the mountains and be in the Wolverines. Absolutely, yeah, one hundred percent. Me too. Yeah. And yeah. so when one of my good Ukrainian friends, uh, uh, who was you know a revolutionary and an organizer of fighting and all sorts of interesting things, when he first came to the states. Uh, I made him stay with me so I could do like the full indoctrination tour of Washington. And one night I made him watch Red Dawn and he was like, why are we watching this? movie? I don't want to watch this. I was like, you're going to watch this movie. And he gets like really quiet and he watches the movie. And at the end, he turns to me and he goes, this movie is brilliant propaganda. You all had a plan, didn't you? I was like, we absolutely all had a plan. And he was like convinced that they needed to have this for Ukraine. But um but the mindset of resistance is back into into cool in military parlance these days. So, hey, Red Dawn is, is hip again. Yes. And, you know, maybe what we may end up having to see in the Ukraine, in, in Ukraine, sorry. And, and I hope you can correct me on that because I know there's a lot of differences around that. Um, it may look like Red Dawn in, in yeah. you know, 2022 style in the next couple of months if Russia does invade. Uh, and the resistance, I think, will be ferocious and dynamic. Uh, you know, you have many contacts in Ukraine. I have many friends who who are there, who have served there. Um, we we know a bit about that. But what I want to start by asking you, Molly, is what what are we not seeing? You are an expert on misinformation, on on cybersecurity mm -hmm. and attacks. Um, there's a talk about you know, will Russia invade Ukraine with 100,000 mm -hmm. troops on the border? What's already happening? Because I, I feel yeah. like, and, and I, what, I've, what I've read and seen, is that cyber attacks and other disruptive things are already happening and maybe have been happening for some time. So can you start with that? What's already happening that most people aren't seeing? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer this in three parts. One is the stuff we don't see, gray zone, blah, blah, blah. Second will be the, but the war has already been eight years. And third will be, the stuff that's actually about us. And I think um, that first category, which is everywhere, kind of persistent Russian cyber activity, uh, either embedding in systems, preparing to embed in systems, you know, creating backdoors, uh, cultivating pathways. Um, I think Ukraine has been very much already a, a, a testing ground for a lot of the newer uh, sort of how do we get in? Can we shut down whole power grids? What will that look like? What will the effects be? How fast can people respond? I think um, it is inevitable that if there is some sort of uh, larger attack on Ukraine, uh, a component of it will be something cyber uh, to disrupt how the government commands and controls its own structures, uh, to disrupt the public, to create panic, 
Uh, you know, if you can shut down banking, people freak out, things like that. Um, the same kind of things they did in Estonia in 2007. They tried to do in Georgia in 2008. Uh, less successfully, it wasn't as much of a factor, uh, but it definitely created the, oh my God, what's going on sense. And then ongoing in Ukraine from 2014, there's been power grid attacks, water system attacks. Um, and I think that an aspect of that that we don't see as much here, there's been a little coverage of it in English, but not as much is like, what is it like to be a Ukrainian right now? And I'm actually going to put up a piece on, uh, on my thing, uh, greatpower.us, uh, in the next couple of days, written by my Ukrainian researcher who's worked with me for a long time now, um, about this aspect. Like, what is it like to be a Ukrainian right now? And the stuff we don't see, which is for, for months, there's been persistent bomb threats at schools, hospitals, you know, public locations, malls government buildings to the point where schools have basically just like shut down and sent everyone home because there's just no time for everybody to respond to all these threats. But just this like, you know, it's, it's mostly meant to distract resources, keep the police busy, but it just exhausts society, right? You live under this constant, what the fuck is going on sense. Um, so stuff like that has been happening. There have been smaller cyber related disruptions, nothing huge, but just little things. Um, and I think in general, the information environment uh, has been so polluted by this ridiculous fear mongering. Oh, my God, if the war comes, 50,000 people will die in Kiev in the first two minutes. You know, it's like, come on, people, we're smarter than this. Like we're smarter than giving the Russians this much for free. And yet that's what we're doing. So I think living in that environment as a Ukrainian is extremely hard. And I think we're not understanding that enough because we tend to talk about Ukraine as like a tiddlywink on a board and not as a country with 44 million people in it. Right. So, uh, I think that what it is like to be a Ukrainian right now, um, is something I think we should pay more attention to and understand how many people have enlisted, uh, either in reserves or in active duty service, um, prepared, uh, trained in some aspect, if not for the army and other reserves and like the medical reserves and other things. Um, this is a society that uh, has been in a state of perpetual war for eight years. And um, I think to some extent, this is why there's been this kind of chill. Yeah, guys, it's not different than it was yesterday mm. vibe from the Ukrainians that's really like freaking out a lot of people in the West. Like, why aren't they more panicked? Like, we're panicked. Uh, and they're like, because we've been doing this every day for eight years. And uh, so it's really interesting, the like weird communication between us right now. But um, I think understanding better that this already looks pretty terrible if you're in Ukraine, um, but is just sort of how you've been living all these years now. Uh, is something we should understand because it's why we should actually care more about resolving the situation when Russia isn't trying to blackmail us all the time. Mm. So I think there's that aspect, which is important. I think the the other piece is just the, the war is always there. Um, you know, it's always there. They've been doing this a long time. 14,000 Ukrainians have died. Uh, and we forget about that conveniently when we decide to not pay attention to it. And um, we shouldn't because that's our war. Like they are fighting for us. They are fighting because Russia keeps trying to move the line where we will mentally respond to their bullshit westward. Um, and right now it's pretty far to the West in terms of like where we're talking about where we would actually mobilize. Right. And um, they know that I don't think where is aware of that, but for Ukraine right now, what you want is like, they're, they don't, they're not asking us to be there despite the dumb discussions that happen on, you know, U S news. Um, they're not asking American troops to come fight side by side with them. Uh, they're fighting this war. They just want us to not drop the iron curtain behind them instead of giving them the chance mm. to be in what we are. Um, and then I think just the last point, and I know this is long, sorry, is, uh, uh, you know, it's, we're talking about this as a war on Ukraine and it is in terms of the kinetic war. Um, but so much of it is already beyond Ukraine and very much all of it is about the White House and President Biden uh, and what the Kremlin thinks they can get out of them. Um, and I think they're somewhat aware of that, but need to be vastly more aware of it. Um, and just the level of Russian mobilization, which is not just about Ukraine. And frankly, the stuff around Ukraine is not enough to like besiege Ukraine and take it territorially from top to bottom. But 
the mobilization in the Black Sea, the mobilization in the Baltic Sea, um, all the crap they're doing in Africa right now. You know, they were trying to hold naval exercises off the coast of Ireland. Like they're all over the place doing all sorts of things to see what our reactions will be. Um, and they have not been. So I'm glad that answer was long because this is the beauty of a, no, really, this is the beauty of a podcast where, where I can give you time to expand on an idea in a way you can on cable news and, and other places. And, and, I, and I really think that that framework setting is key here because I've been trying to elevate a number of national security priorities. Absolutely. And, and you know, we've got Ukraine, we've got Taiwan, and we've got things like the Arctic, which are completely off people's radar, right? So there is yeah. a scenario that feels like it's from, you know, the Stravides novel, the doomsday scenario, where we have multiple phases of a war against multiple types of enemies um, while we are internally conflicted. And it's like Red Dawn on steroids, right? Like I think yeah. in the old Red Dawn, the, the Russians linked up with the Cubans and then the new Red Dawn, which was terrible. Um, it was like a bastardization of Red Dawn in the same way. The we new will Mustang. never discuss it again. Yes. Yeah. But, but it's a bastardization of, of, of Red Dawn the same way the new Mustang is a bastardization of a Ford Mustang, but they linked up with the North Koreans, right? So now you've got China and Russia in this new axis. And then you've got um, folks like North Korea that are still unpredictable. But then you've also got, you know, this tug of war going on where Germany didn't exactly jump up and say, hey, we got your back. You can count on us. You've got folks like France and Macron trying to be intermediaries and be the peacemakers here. But I want to go back to what you really have a unique expertise on the cyber component. Right. And, and the technological component. I don't even know if I'm encompassing correctly. Yeah. Is this not uh, you know, we used to worry about a nuke war. Right. Like what would a, a real nuke war look like? Is this going to be if they if they do invade Ukraine, is this going to be a first real test of what they can do when they unleash all of the stuff in their technological arsenal? And is it a test of ours? Right. Because the Ukrainians want our javelins and they want our, our, our equipment and they want us over in Germany. But uh, is Cyber Command already funding the fight and fueling the fight and not telling us we have, I'm sure we have intelligence people there. I'm sure we have special operators under the radar that they will never claim. But is there not cyber command assets already helping them fight this invisible technological war? On the cyber piece, uh, I, of course, do not know at all about any of the secret stuff that is happening. But even publicly, there is uh, a lot of expertise, support, you know, the, the Balts that are particularly talented in these areas have had good relationships with Ukraine. I'm not sure if Estonia has sent one of its CERT teams, like they're like cyber preparedness and response groups in, but they have previously. So I'm assuming that that, that, that capacity is kind of there. Um, certainly people on that side, on the non-kinetic war side, uh, we and others have tried to make resources available to them. There was an attempt to give them official access to kind of the NATO scheme that shares information on this, which, of course, Hungary, which is like just signed a new gas deal with Putin, blocked. Um, but it doesn't really matter. Like, everybody is still doing what they can on that front. And honestly, like, the Ukrainians have... We've gotten so much information from the Ukrainians about what is happening, like what's in their systems, what the Russians have done, where they are testing stuff, um, that that information sharing is pretty good. Um, uh, but I think that there's more there than what we see, which doesn't mean you can stop it or save it or whatever, but hopefully it's like there's quick visibility at the very least if there is some kind of, of an attack about what it is and what needs to happen and how to communicate that outside the country and inside the country. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think we have to redefine, especially for the mainstream civilian population, what war in 2022 looks yeah. like, right? Like I have argued the Russians didn't meddle in our elections. They attacked our elections. I, I if, you know, if I were framing Absolutely. this from an, you know, international policy standpoint, I would have said that was an act of war right now is a cyber attack, an act of war. I think it is, but not in our current legislative and nomenclature framework, at least within the media. So, you know, this idea that it's a cold war, I think that that terminology and framework is even outdated because we've, we've been at war with, with Russia in the cyberspace for decades now, right? Or as long as that, that's yep. been a thing. Um, and so when we talk about, and we drill down on Ukraine, you mentioned there are ships in the Baltic, the Black Sea, they're, they're meddling all around the place. No one wants to make a prediction here. 
Um, right. You know, it's Super Bowl weekend. Uh, is 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 Putin going to do this? Is Putin going to send tank? Is 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 he, he going to do this? And if and if he was going to do this, and you had to predict, I'm not going to only ask you p- to predict who's going to win the game, but I'm going to ask you to predict the spread. You know, when is, is he going to do this? And if he does, when and why? Um. So I think the ultimate horizon that I would look at for right now, and obviously this is a, a dodge of an answer, but you know, Putin turned seventy in October. Uh, it's it's his birthday, and Kind of the chatter is that he wants something big before his birthday to show he's still a vital and vibrant young man, not full of Botox and and evilness, right? And uh, so I think the idea that something will happen in the summer, like net between now and the fall, um, is a pretty. It seems like a pretty safe bet. Like something something stupid will happen in this timeline to remind us that Russia is a thing. But, you know, they're doing that right now. And I think there's so much talk about, I mean, yes, this mobilization is huge, right? Like so much Russian personnel, material, uh, their, you know, battle technical groups have been mobilized and moved to the West. Uh, some, some all the way from the Far East. Russia is nine time zones. So that's not an insignificant movement. Mm. Um, you know, there's tons of stuff moving around. But to some extent, it just feels like you take a bunch of stuff and you throw it in the can and you're like shaking it around to like make people understand you're making a lot of noise, but that's mostly what they're doing. And that's not to say that there isn't stuff there that's actually ready for war. There is, there's fuel, there's blood supply, there's, you know, field hospitals, there's dudes, there's reservists being mobilized, whatever, like all of that stuff is there, but it still kind of has that. And we're just rattling the stuff around in the can vibe. You can't take Ukraine with 150,000 troops. Like, that's not a thing that's going to happen. And maybe part of it, like, maybe you just want to kill a lot of people. Maybe they do decide to go full Iraq 1991 air war shock and awe moment, right? But uh, there's, there's this line of, but why would you do that when it would actually evoke more of a response, right? that I'm just not sure, I'm not sure. I mean, everybody's still like, we're not sure if Putin's made the decision or not. I think looking back on 2008, which was when Russia invaded Georgia, which is not the same in the sense that Georgia is this big and Ukraine is a real thing, right? Like Georgia was 4 million people and uh, Ukraine is 10 times bigger than that. Um, But uh, it was the same scenario in which Russia piled its entire freaking army on the border of Georgia. And the Jordans were like, um, hey guys, we should pay attention to this. And everybody's like, no, no, it's fine. Russia's not stupid enough to invade. Like Putin would never do that, you know? Um, and it kind of, there's a point at which there's just so much stuff there. It kind of tips itself into kinetic war. Right. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think we all worry about that. The sense of like, well, you've done this. What, what's a big enough thing that allows you to undo it without doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it, mm-hmm. what is yeah, the thing? Yeah. And, and I think, to some extent, it then comes back to, but why are they doing this in the first place, right? And this is the part where it's, where it's kind of gross and icky to talk about, where it's like, in Georgia, what they wanted was the very pro-Western Georgian government to collapse. And they didn't achieve that in 2008. Um, Georgia actually got a lot of support after the war financially so that its economy in particular did not collapse, both from Europe and the United States, uh, which sort of, and this was right during the financial crisis, right? So Georgia actually kind of skated through that period when other people were in worse, st- were in a worse state because they were getting outside support. Um, the political war against Georgia then increased, and uh, that that continued on in 2012, which we can talk about some other time. But um, but I think this is the thing we need to look at in Ukraine. It's like, what is the objective of doing this? And I think the objective, and Putin has now been very clear about this after the Macron visit that you mentioned, um, what the Ukrainians keep telling us now is, hey, this Minsk accord, the Minsk agreements that were sort of signed at gunpoint, you know, in the beginning phases of the war, this notional, uh, you know, potential framework of a peace agreement, air quotes, between Ukraine and these pretend, you know, occupied region governments or whatever. Russia's not even a party to this agreement, which is the kabuki they always play. You know, it's not us fighting. It's these, you know, nonsensical separatists. Um, so the Minsk Accords very much signed with a Russian gun at the Ukrainian head uh, when the government was still weak. Uh, this was after Maidan, after the Yanukovych fled the country, as the new government was standing up. 
um, to give them time to do things like rebuild the army that Yanukovych had destroyed, they had to sign this stupid agreement. But that was, again, seven years ago. Uh, and since then, 14,000 Ukrainians have died, 500,000 have trained to fight this war. Um, it's not the same country, and they're not willing to accept these same terms of completely compromising their sovereignty, giving Russia like a permanent knife to their heart um, uh, when that doesn't make any sense to them. And for them, what they keep trying to tell us is Minsk is the trap, not the solution to this problem. Mm. And we're all like, yeah, but if you just do Minsk, like then we can move forward and not fight this war. And they're like, no, Minsk is the thing that will topple the government in Ukraine. Like there is no political support domestically for all these concessions to the Russians after this long, painful war. If we do this, there will be uprisings in the street, right? And we're like, no, 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 just agree to the thing. And they're like, no, we can't. And but now Putin, of course, has come back after his meeting with Macron and just said, it is Minsk or die. Like, right, right. So they're so, they're really pushing on this. So so going back to your wager, like if you had mm -hmm. to bet, you'd say, yes, he does it in the summer. We'll see what he does. Right. And and maybe I can pull that apart. A bit what they want, but, but what they want. And, like, and this is where the I don't know thing comes in is yeah. what they want is the same thing they wanted in Georgia, which is for us, the West, particularly the Biden White House to package Ukraine in nice paper and hand it to Russia right. in some sort of right, political right, 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 agreement right. that yeah. Ukraine will not join the West in the way that it but wants what they also want to placate they, what, you. What Putin also wants, Molly, is is disruption. Right. And and and, you know, the idea has Putin decided. I mean, Putin is 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 looking at this in you know decades terms. The, the Chinese have a thousand year plan and we have like a six month cycle based on congressional midterms. Right. So if you look at Putin, he's poking at all areas. Right. He's poking to see how how tough is Germany going to be this time? You know, how much can I push Biden? Where's France going to yeah. be? What 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 is, you know, yeah. North Korea going to do? How are the Olympics? He, he's constantly rejiggering the strategy based off enemy contact, right? They always say no plan survives enemy contact. Putin is brilliant in that regard, and he's playing a long game. He plans to be there when he's 90 or 100. And if I were him, if I were him, I would, I would press Biden as much as I could, and I'd take a shot before the midterms when the Republicans take over Congress and will be a lot harder with me, right? And then maybe you've got two years from now with a President Trump, which could be totally different. So maybe he does a half measure sometime between now and likely our congressional elections when the opportunity is the softest and most disrupted and America's ripping itself in part, apart with insurrections and mask mandates and everything. If, if I'm Putin, that looks like a pretty good time, right? It looks like a pretty good time to hit Biden when he's down and see how hard you can hit him and then go back to the drawing board and wait for the next president and keep doing it over yep. and over again. They seem to have a long view while we have a short view. And, and if I have to put a point on it, it's in part because they have continuity of leadership. When you've got Putin and he's the right. guy for decades, you can stick with his plan without interruption in a way we can't because if Trump gets reelected, who the hell knows what, what our country is going to look like in two years. But it's pretty good. You can pretty much assume you know what Russia is going to look like as long as Putin's there. Right. I'll disagree on one point, which is you're totally right. The Chinese have this 50 year planning horizon that's like extremely detailed and there's metrics and they talk about it constantly and they're constantly fulfilling the five year plan. Um, but in four years, of course, always in four years. Uh, Russia is different. You're, you're totally right in its stagnant slash stable, pick either word you, you choose, uh, leadership structure. These dudes have been there a long time now. It's all the same faces. It's like, oh, it's that guy again. Hello. Um, it's all these guys from the Georgian War. It's all these guys from the first Ukraine war. You know, it's just the same, the same guys. But um, so that is true. But their, their planning horizon is really tomorrow. And it's like the way that some of my Estonian friends have explained it is, is it's like this prison mindset of you die today, maybe I die tomorrow, right? So it's like, mm. we don't really care if this is actually a bad, stupid move for us because everybody's like, why would they do this? It's a stupid thing for their economy and everything else, right? They don't actually care about that because you might die today. And that's, that's the goal, right? It's like mm. the goal is killing you today. And so I think there is this part of the reason we have such a bad ability to predict what the Kremlin is going to decide to do is there is this survival mentality that governs so much of this combined with the love of fuckery. So it's like, well, let's just try it and see what happens because we don't think there's going to be a cost, right? Um, and if they were, if they did have the 20-year plan, they wouldn't be doing so much of this disruptive stuff. It's just that 
for now because they don't have a vision of what 20 years from now looks like for Russia, right? Uh, they know what they want. They know how they feel. Like they feel like they should be a great power and they're not quite there and they want to know why. Uh, but they're not, they don't really have a plan to achieve that other than just fucking around all the time. Mm. That's why they keep doing it. And so I think you're right to say they will just keep looking for disruption opportunities anywhere because that's the whole plan. Um, but I think that this unpredictability in a, a totally illogical way for us uh, is the thing that's so challenging. I think, and why I think that's I can't really important. Prediction. I, I think that's really important. That insight is really important because, um, you know, America is always projecting our own constructs on everyone else. And that, you know, you identifying this as a survivor mentality, you know, the, the prison yard, I'm going to shank you before you shank me. Right. And even, you know, love of fuckery is going in the subtitle of this episode because that is so, so perfect. And so it true. Is. Like it, we could, it's a joy, a joy that comes is. from planning. It is. It's, 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 you know, it's, it. it's, it's geopolitical trolling, right? It's like, I'm going <laughs> to fuck with you. And and that might have to be, if, if, if we can get you to do your own podcast at some point, we might have to call it love of fuckery, but, but, <laughs> But let me ask you, um, because this has been really, really valuable and insightful. And this is why I love having you on the show, because you pull this apart in ways that I don't hear anybody else doing it. And frankly, cable news and other places, even the PBSs and the NPRs don't go deep enough. And, and I want to keep this show looking about, you know, for me, strategy is about what else and what's next. Um, yeah. And I want to think about what's next. But I also want to empower. I'm assuming most people who are listening to this show want to support Ukraine. Right. Yeah. And and don't want Russia to steamroll across and create Red Dawn 2022. Um, you you're great about about identifying the misinformation and disinformation part of this. And you posted something on Twitter today, which basically said, you know, don't retweet stupid shit without checking it out because the Russians want that. Can you yeah. talk about what average person listening right now who's on social media, maybe not you know living in Ukraine and Ju what can an average American do an average independent American do to help support this in their own little way right now? If you care about this and think that what Russia is doing is wrong and think Ukraine has a point about getting to choose its own future and being a free country and et cetera, et cetera, regardless what you think the United States should be doing, should we be there? Should we be there more? Should we not be there? Should we give them stuff, but not men? Like whatever you actually think about this. And I understand there's a range of views on this and I accept that. Um, you know, don't create the information environment that achieves the opposite goal of Ukraine being able to stand up for itself. So, of course, we're all going to read the stupid Washington Post article about the 50,000 people dying in the first four seconds of the war. And I'm sure, honestly, that same assessment has been written about Washington if we get in a war with Russia. Like, well, all of Washington will die in the first two hours of the war or whatever. Fine, fine. Don't repost this panic mongering. Russia is so strong. Look at all its tanks moving around. Like, oh my God, we're weak and sad and Ukraine will never survive. Like, don't. You can read it if you want, but don't post it. Like, post the opposite of that, which is, you know, we are helping them. There is some unity within the alliance. It is not enough, but uh, uh, there is mobilization in the right direction on that front in terms of what we should be doing to help Ukraine. Um, but stop, stop helping Putin look good and strong and mighty when it's so much smoke and mirrors, uh, when there's no need to do that. And the story is much broader than that. Can I, I um, I hope you'll stick around for uh, our Patreon members. I'm going to ask you about Absolutely. your cat and we'll talk some sci-fi for folks who are Patreon members. <laughs> Exclusive content for you with Molly will be over there. Um, always sci-fi. Always sci-fi. Um, but let me ask you a, a last question here, Molly, that I think is important. Every time we get into a conflict, it becomes a, a dehumanizing yeah. affair. Um, can you tell people what, is, what, what do you love about Ukraine? What do you love about the Ukrainian people? Tell us what, what you think uh, folks should know um, that they don't hear when they think of just, you know, most folks think Ukrainians are Russians, Russians are Ukrainians. They're all like white dudes freezing, drinking vodka. Like, they help us. <laughs> Help us understand a bit about why you love Ukraine and what's to love about Ukraine. And so much of the international media has been this white dude smoking vodka or whatever, you know, just like yeah. it, it, it's not always helpful. Um, I think 
the thing about Ukraine that is so great uh, is, well, it's a super diverse country in terms of what's going on there. Um, there's a ton of really great old cultural sites and like things going on. Like there's a, a deep history in the country that's super fun. There's also a very young, vibrant culture in parts of the country. Uh, if you want to find hipsters, there's plenty of hipsters for you in Ukraine, <laughs> which was surprising to me when I first went as well. But I think what I love is, uh, despite the fact that there has been this perpetual state of war, I mean, really since late 2013, when the mobilization for the Maidan protests started, uh, which was very planned and very deliberate uh, in terms of how Ukrainian civil society was, was again, looking to try to get Russian influence out of their society. Um, that they have stuck with this, that during Afghanistan and all the stuff that you talked about in your many episodes covering this um, with these incredible people that are working on the evacuations and other things, you, know, you constantly heard this crap from the White House that was like, well, the Afghans didn't fight hard enough for it, even though mm -hmm. like all of mm -hmm. these people died and like they're all, yeah, okay, didn't fight. But like in no way can you even begin to make the case that Ukraine didn't want it enough. Uh, they had a revolution to stand up for the ideals and values that they believed in, which is what we have. It's not more than that. It's not like they want special treatment. They just want us to leave the door open so they can get in there mm. if they work hard enough to do it. Mm. Um, they fought a revolution, won the revolution, rebuilt their country in a time of war, rebuilt their army in a time of war, did all of that with very little outside support while everyone told them not to. Just give in and make a deal with the Russians. It'll be easier for mm. you. Um, they didn't do that. Uh, and um, it's, I think it's easy for us over here to think of Ukraine in the same way that we think of Moldova or these other like little Soviet, former Soviet republics. You know, Ukraine is a real country. It has a huge industrial center. It is building its own weapons uh, to fight this war because no one will sell them to them. Mm. Um, they're forging these really great partnerships um, with the UK, with the Turks, with others to, to manufacture uh, what they need there and do great technology exchanges. Like there's so much innovation happening in Ukraine in terms of how they have fought the kinetic war, what they have learned by fighting the war on electronic warfare, on cyber warfare, on physical warfare, that we are all there learning from them because they are fighting mm. while we stand behind them. Can I ask um, you that one we part of that? that. that. Yeah, I absolutely. think that, that you've done a great job of, of painting that picture. And, and there's a, a unique fighting spirit to Ukraine, right? Anybody who's spent time this. there who knows they people, right? And let me, let me ask you a specific question because I had to look it up. Um, one of their, two of their most famous ambassadors for a long time were the Klitschko brothers, you know, the, right. the heavyweight champion boxers. I, I remember being in the Lower East Side. I lived in a Ukrainian neighborhood, you know, during um, many of the, the protests and orange ribbons everywhere and all of that. Right. But Vladimir and Vitaly Klitschko, I think two of the most fascinating sports really? figures of our time. So fascinating. Is 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 one of them still the mayor right yeah. now? Right. He's a mayor of Kiev or something. Right. I don't mm -hmm. know if it's right. And and they've said they're going to fight and die. I mean, there are these heroic figures that I don't feel like we see. And I invite either of yeah. the Klitschko brothers to come on this show anytime <laughs> or both <laughs> or both together. I always the one thing that disappointed me in all respect is that they wouldn't fight each other because I know. heavyweight boxing was such shit at the time. We all want. I know the brothers. So true. But you pay me a hundred million dollars, I will beat the shit out of my brother, and and he will understand, and we will it's the fight everybody wanted to see. We, we, it's yeah, true. we will buy a Putin palace afterward. But I think that I guess the question is, uh, they are still there. They are. Yes. I hope we see more of them. Um, but any the Klitschko brothers' thoughts or or, or, well, or insights? I, I mean, look with with the with the with the mayor of Kiev brother, you know. The problem with entering politics is once you enter politics, all the shit of politics gets on you, right? So right. there's the, the the constant criticisms of, well, he's talking to this oligarch and that oligarch. Like, who knows? I don't know. Uh, that being said, uh, Kiev at least has begun the kinds of emergency mobilizations that need to happen for, uh, not, not because there might be a catastrophic invasion, but because if shit gets disrupted, you have to be able to survive and there's a lot of people in Kiev. So... I think there's helpful things happening, but the other brother, uh, whatever the other brother is, Vitaly, the, cu Vitaly the cuter is the one, brother, Vitaly is, is the one that's a mayor. Right. Vitaly is the one that's a mayor. I think Vladimir is the one that used to be married to Hayden Panettiere, right? And the, right. the, the Hollywood star from Heroes. So yeah, the, and the, that so that brother who was the better boxer and is the better looking one. Sorry, I didn't mean that, but um, uh, 
he actually recently very publicly enlisted in the reserve forces to go do training. And I think, right. again, just like knowing that, that that mug there is the $200 million mug and he's like, you know, fuck this shit. I'm going to go get ready to shoot Russians too. It's a hugely important signal in the country about what Ukrainians feel and think. Like all you keep hearing all this panicky stuff, you know, oh God, if anything happens, there's going to be like zillions of Ukrainian refugees flooding across the borders. Like, of course there's going to be displacements and disruptions, but there's also going to be a lot of people who could choose to be somewhere else who are going to be there fighting because they think this is important. And I just think um, that that it's a, a very important signal within the country mm. of, of the commitment of people understanding what is at stake. And I agree with you on the Klitschko brothers. I would highly recommend, I think it's on HBO or it was an HBO documentary, but the Klitschko brothers, it's like Klitschko um, documentary. It's a short thing, but there's some fascinating stuff in there, uh, including about their inside the Soviet Union upbringing. Um, And the best vignette in there is when the cuter, better boxer brother is like, back at the now abandoned Soviet military base where they were children. Their father was a Soviet helicopter pilot uh, who was part of that group of helicopters that had to go and dump shit on the reactor in Chernobyl to stop it from burning. Uh, So, you know, all these guys would like fly, get zonked by radiation. um, And then these helicopters would come back, land, get, get disinfected, like hosed down. Right. And the water from the, thing would go into these two pools at this military base and all the kids would go and play with their little paper boats at these like Mm -hmm. radioactive water pools and there's this absolutely eerie story of the of the one klitschko brother telling the story of now as a grown-up understanding they were all just like bathing in radiation for months on end Uh, and you're like well maybe that's why you're seven feet tall exactly (laughs) well that's my as as a as 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 the son as the son of a man who worked at a nuke plant for many years, uh, there was long there was long in our area a question of why were the Rykoff brothers so much bigger than their father and grandfather, and it was because dad worked at Indian Point. So it was you know I, I'm a familiar with that. Little sprinkle of radiation. Little sprinkle. But uh, Molly McHugh, you continue to be a guardian on the Watchtower. You are tracking stuff that folks are not tracking, and you are among the most vigilant. We didn't get to talk about independent politics. Next time you come back because you've been working with Evan McMullen and others. And that's an important part of this. Super important every conversation we have is, too. Yeah. Every conversation we have is not enough. So I hope you'll come back soon. In the meantime, everyone needs to follow great powers, follow you on Twitter uh, and Patreon members can stick around for a little bit more, but thank you for all you do. Thank you for, for keeping the, the watch and uh, we will pray for peace and prepare for war. Um, and, Absolutely. and, uh, and any other crazy shit and lots of fuckery because that is the word <laughs> of the week. Fuckery. Oh, it's fuckery. Thank you for that. Stay vigilant, my friend. There it is. Molly McHugh is helping us continue to stay ahead of the news and giving us not just insights, but ways we can help. So if Russia crosses into Ukraine, 44 million of our allies that live there are going to need all the help they can get. Whether you're a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne in Poland right now, a diplomat trying to find a way to peace in Washington, one of the Klitschko brothers inside Kiev, or an independent American driving your car home from work somewhere in America, there will be a way for you to step up and become a helper. Because there is always a need for the helpers. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers. You know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. So look for the helpers and be one of them where you can. Because helpers matter. Not just in Ukraine. I told you last episode about the little dog that was lost in my area named Mateo. Mateo was only about 10 pounds, and he's new to the area. And with all the coyotes, eagles, foxes, and other predators in our mountains, I thought his prospects were pretty grim. Then we got hit with a devastating ice storm that knocked out power across the county for days, and things looked even more grim. My kids were asking every day, and I figured, frankly, that little Mateo was dead meat. But lo and behold... After people all across our area got involved, little Mateo showed up back at his home four days later. He made it 
He navigated the big trucks and the coyotes and the ice storm, and he made it. Thanks in part to the helpers. People all around the area were looking for Mateo, and we think that the food outside brought him back. But the helpers are out there. So check the hashtag look for the helpers on Twitter, on all social media, and share yours with me. You can also share video from my conversation with Molly and get Independent Americans gear for the new year. I've been telling you it's really good stuff. It's also a perfect Valentine's gift for your favorite independent or to help you get through the winter. You can share that if you go to independentamericans.us. It's all there. And I want to give a shout out to some folks who have been buying up our merch. Cade Hancock, Todd Luther, Bill DeVell, and Larry Joe King. You guys all got hooked up with some new Independent Americans gear. Thank you for doing that. I hope you enjoy it. Tell your friends. And shout out to our Patreon members. You ship in and help us keep this movement going. You can find out more information if you're not a Patreon member. Join the community. Go to independentamericans.us. You can help support this work. And you will find out about shows first and you'll get extra content, like an extended conversation with Molly, where we talk about cats, we talk about sci-fi, and we talk about baking. You can also find Independent Americans and Righteous Media on YouTube, where you can see videos from all our shows, and find us on every social media platform. Where on Wednesday, you can play Guest the Guest. Thanks to all of you who continue to play, and especially congratulations to Shannon, who's on Twitter at, at J-O-D Foster. She is a firefighter, an EMT, a Haztec, and a lady EHS scientist. She correctly guessed the guest in our last episode, J.W. Cortez, a very popular episode. We dig into policing and what needs to be done, especially after the murder of two cops in New York. If you haven't heard my conversation with J.W. Cortez, it was the one right before this. You can get it anywhere you got this show and check it out and share. Also, I want to send a big happy birthday to a hero that has been a part of this show for a long time now. A former guest, Dr. Paul Hazer. The heroic doctor who joined us way back in episode 53 at the beginning of the pandemic, almost two years ago. He was on the front lines in the early days of the coronavirus war. You heard from him back in episode 53, and it's his birthday. So if you're on social, give a shout out to Dr. Paul Hazer, one of our favorite guests, a guy who continues to inspire. And two years later, a guy who's continuing to serve his community and serve his country. He's helping us win the war against the virus. Because masks are finally coming off across the country. This week in New York City and in New York State, that's in part thanks to the leadership of many of us, and especially folks like Dr. Paul Hazer. And if you like that episode or any of our episodes, please support us. Go to the Apple Podcast Store and give us five stars. You can subscribe for free and share. We'll continue to bring you great content without the conspiracy theories, misinformation, and racism of Joe Rogan. Righteous will continue to bring you the five eyes in all our podcasts and everything we do. That's independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. And it comes to you thanks to the great team that drives everything we do. The Righteous Media crew, creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, and precise Paula Hernandez. This work is also fueled by my amazing wife and two boys. And since we talked a lot about the 80s in this episode, one big part of the 80s for me was Red Dawn, as you heard, and there was Rocky Four and all that 80s stuff, which included Transformers. But that was the old Transformers. Now, 2022 is about stuff from the 80s being reinvented and brought back in different ways, and that includes the Transformers. My kids, who are six and almost three, are obsessed with it. But they're not watching the crazy Michael Bay Transformers. They're watching a new, younger friendlier, more positive version of the Transformers called Rescue Bots Academy. If you don't have little kids, you probably have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. But Rescue Bots Academy has characters like Heatwave, the Firebot, and Chase, the Police Bot, Blades, the Chopper Bot, and Boulder, the Construction Bot. They're the crew that train a new batch of recruits just arriving on Earth from the home world of Cybertron. There's a young cube player called Hotshot, uh, an aspiring rescue hero called Hoist, the enthusiastic Whirl, a helicopter, and a construction bot called Wedge, and Medics, a medical vehicle. They're all the first class in the Rescue Bots Academy, 
which is a highly advanced facility located at a top secret base. And they have encouragement from some of the old school Transformer legends like Optimus Prime and Bumblebee. And these recruits team up and do lots of good stuff through simulated real-life rescue missions. They're like robot helpers, and they talk about heroism and teamwork and friendship. It's good stuff. But what's old from the 80s is new again in 2022 with a spin, and that includes Transformers. And apparently, the Calm app, that app that's supposed to help you sleep and meditate and all that, has an Optimus Prime sleep story series for kids. I heard Optimus Prime reading to my kids in the other room and had no idea what the hell was going on. I went inside. My wife explained it. There are Optimus Prime sleep stories on the Calm app. The Calm app is not a supporter of this show. They are welcome to join us as a sponsor, as is any other company that you know that might want to support this work. But Optimus Prime has sleep stories. It's kind of amazing and it's kind of strange, but that's 2022 for you folks. And speaking of kind of amazing... And kind of strange, the Super Bowl is this weekend. And I'm going to be watching it with my wife and my two boys on Sunday. And it should be a doozy. I'm rooting for the Bengals. Not even close. I love the Bengals. I love their story. And like little dog Mateo, they're up against tough odds. The Rams are favored by two and a half, and the Rams are stacked and nasty with every free agent they could possibly get off the market. But I'm going with the Bengals. I'm going with the hot QB, the hot team, and the team that believes. And I'm picking the Bengals and Magic Joe Burrow 37 to 35. I think it's going to be a shootout. I think it's going to be a fantastic game. And I think the Bengals are going to pull it out. But the Super Bowl's great. For me, it's a holiday. And for most Americans, it's a holiday, too. And it's a time when we can all actually come together. Because America is more divided than ever. But at Independent Americans and Righteous Media, we are working to change that. We're trying to add light to contrast the heat of so many of the other political shows. I hope we did that again for you in this episode. And if you're among the 40% of Americans that are independent, you know this is your show. If you're a Republican or a Democrat, you're not a diehard partisan. This is also your show. If you're a concerned American who wants to be a helper, who cares about the future of your country, who wants to take the inspiration from Optimus Prime, this is your show. All are welcome. We invite you to join us and be a part of the solution. So please keep sharing this show and keep sharing the hope because hope is the oxygen of democracy. It's what's propelled the Cincinnati Bengals this far. And it's what will help the people of Ukraine in whatever comes next. So stay vigilant, my friend. Because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And no, you're not alone in your vigilance. We are all vigilant. And we're all in this together. From our allies in Ukraine right now, to Jed Eckerd and the Wolverines from Red Dawn, to Mateo the dog, to Optimus Prime and the Rescue Bots, to Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals, to Molly McHugh, to you. All across this country, we're all in this together. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Stay vigilant, America. Enjoy the game. And go Bengals! Powered by Righteous Media.